Please remain standing as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Psalm 77, verse 1 through 12. I'll be reading in Danish. The English translation will be on the screen as I read. Til korlederen Jerutun, en sang af Asaf. Jeg råber til Gud uden ophør. Jeg hører, håber, han hører min bøn. Jeg er i nød og søger hen til min herre. Hele natten løfter jeg hænderne i bøn til ham. Jeg har ikke ro i min sjæl, før han svarer. Jeg tænker på Gud og stønner i nød. Jeg sukker af længsel efter hans hjælp. Jeg kan ikke sove, før han griber ind. Jeg er fortvivlet, kan dårlig nok bede. Jeg mindes de gamle dage, den tid, som nu er forbi. Dengang sang vi af glæde til langt ude på natten. Nu sidder jeg og spørger mig selv. Har Herren forkastet mig for evigt? Vil han aldrig igen være noget i? Er hans trofasthed opbrugt? Gælder hans løfter ikke længere? Har Gud glemt at være god? Har han lukket sit hjerte i vrede? Jeg kan ikke udholde den tanke, at den almægtige skulle have mistet sin magt. Jeg husker miraklerne i gamle dage, de fantastiske ting, Gud gjorde engang. De er altid i mine tanker. Jeg kan ikke lade være at grunde over dem. This is God's word. Please be seated. As our speakers come in this morning, I just want to dismiss children to the pre-K classroom. If you go through these back doors and then to your right, pre-K classes downstairs. It's a joy to hear the Word of God read in the languages of the world. So I love that tradition here at Trinity City Church. And it's a joy to be with you. I'm delighted and thankful to be now maybe one of your newest global partners. And I've been given some minutes after the sermon to introduce you to our work in Cameroon, West Africa. But I want us to first to look at this great Psalm 77, and let's pray together. Almighty God, we pray that you would use your word to stabilize us, to reorient us where needed, to renew hope where it might be lost, or just to celebrate that you are God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay. True worshipers sometimes get depressed. Even worship leaders sometimes get depressed. So even inspired worship leaders sometimes get depressed. So when we battle sadness and depression, we should not be surprised. At the very beginning of this psalm, we're told that this is a psalm of Asaph, not an everyday name in our vocabulary. But in fact, Asaph is connected to most of the psalms that you've been studying this summer. He's written... Psalm 73 to Psalm 83, or at least he's connected to them, and I think he's written them. Also Psalm 50, so those are the Psalms that Asaph 
has been involved with. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that he was a worship leader. He was in charge of the service of song, says in 1 Chronicles. Under King David, he was a contemporary of David. His role was to lead the singers. He played the bronze cymbals. And he was also called the chief musician. And when the ark was brought back to its place, he had a big part in that as well. So here in Psalm 77, we have a worship leader, an inspired worship leader. And we know that because God inspired him to write this psalm, Psalm 77, and this series of psalms. So I want to focus on this inspired worship leader and how he freely expressed to God his deep, persistent sadness. Now I want to say at the outset that I'm no expert in depression. I'm not a clinical psychologist. But I know enough that there are complexities to depression that baffle even the most learned psychologists. I realize that there are complexities to depression that go beyond simple solutions, like just think happy thoughts, or get the right exercise, or eat the right foods, or get the relationship fixed, all of which can be helpful. But I know that there are realities of chemical things going on in brains that contribute, contribute to depression. So I'm not making any claim to a level of training that I have not received. But I am struck as I read this psalm, and so many psalms in the Scripture, at how honest the psalmist is with God. No, not only about his joys, but also about his deep sorrows. And that's been pointed out again and again this summer as you've gone from psalm to psalm to psalm. And what's interesting about this psalm is that it doesn't lead through to resolution. Last Sunday, I had the opportunity to preach in Yaoundé, Cameroon on Psalm 5. And it starts out with the psalmist groaning, deeply groaning, and crying out to God. And it ends with him talking about an explosive joy. But not all the psalms end this way. This one ends with no immediate resolution. So, look at verse 2 where the psalmist describes his depression. He says, When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At the night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. Interesting phrase. Other translation says, 
I refused to be comforted. Oftentimes a psalmist preaches to himself, and sometimes we do as well. We might say, soul, it's going to be okay, or soul, settle down, or soul, be quiet and rest. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, I will again praise him. Sometimes others may come alongside and say, cheer up, it's not as bad as you think. Or, as the old Bobby McFerrin song says that probably only a few of you know about, um, his song is, don't worry, be happy. And just the happiest tune that you can imagine, don't worry, be happy. I have my students study this song. And I say, look in this song, this song, look in this song and see if you can find any reasons he gives for you to not worry, be happy. There's not very many, and they're pretty empty. But it's a catchy tune, and it kind of makes you feel happy. Okay, it makes you want to dance a little bit. But the depression remains. The sadness continues to consume in this psalm. Hopelessness seems to reign, especially in the nighttime. He's talking about crying out in the night. It feels like the enemy of our soul, our accuser, is winning at times. And this is a horrible place to be. Asaph doesn't want to be in this emotional dungeon. And neither do we when it happens. So in verse 1, he cries aloud to God again, and he cries again, trusting, hoping that God will hear him. In verse 3, Asaph does the right thing, he focuses attention on God. He remembers God. He meditates. But he still groans. His spirit still faints. In fact, he wants to sleep it away. But he's convinced that God himself is keeping Asaph's eyes open when Asaph wants to fall asleep. Asaph even tries to sing in the darkness, in the darkness of the night in verse 6. But there are no quick fixes. The depression is stubborn. Questions begin to whisper and eventually shout in his mind and sometimes in our minds. In the depths of his being, he doubts. He doesn't doubt that God exists, but he doubts that God cares. What God seemed to have promised in the past now is being swallowed up in the fog of doubt. So listen to the honesty of his questions in verses 7 to 9. 
Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? This is a pretty low season for Asaph. And some of us have tasted this more deeply than others, but we all have tasted these times. Of course, the answers to Asaph's questions are that God will not reject forever. In fact, he's not rejecting now. God will show favor again. God's unfailing love has not vanished His promises have not failed. God has not forgotten to be merciful. God, even His anger, is not withholding His compassion. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. But in this season of Asaph's life, this is exactly how he feels. So he expresses it before God because he knows he can't hide from God anyway. And we must realize that God has inspired this psalm. God is not ashamed of Asaph. He inspired Asaph to be this honest. So it must mean that God's hands are wide open even to us in our lowest times. His heart isn't closed. He embraces Asaph just as he is. And he does the same for us even in our ugliest moments. Doesn't mean he doesn't correct. Doesn't mean that he doesn't rebuke. But he doesn't reject. He embraces us. He holds us close as we were singing one of my favorite songs. Thank you for choosing that song this morning. So let's look now at Asaph's antidote for his depression. We will notice it is not a formula. It's not five easy steps to a depression-free life. In verses, in verses 10 all the way to the end, Asaph again focuses attention on God and on his acts, God's deeds, even as he already did earlier in the psalm. But he's now beginning to focus on one particular redemptive act. I thought that was really interesting. He's focusing on the greatest act of deliverance so far in the history of redemption. The deliverance that God extended to His people who had been in slavery for 400 years under the oppression 
of the Egyptians. Asaph focuses on the exodus. God's deliverance of his people from this slavery and leading them all the way to the promised land. And it's hard to overemphasize as you read the whole Old Testament the centrality of the exodus for the people of God in their journey of faith in the Old Testament times. God raised up a leader called Moses, and he gave to Moses a co-leader named Aaron. You see them in the last verse of the Psalms. They lead in reliance upon God, who is unlike any other God. In verse 11, still in the midst of his depression, this is what Asaph says. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And then he takes us even deeper. Look at verses 13 to 15. He appeals to God's character, which he just kind of called into question through his questions. But he's appealing to God's character, who God is at the core of his being. And he says, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples, plural. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Then in verses 16 to 20, Asaph fixes his mind on the parting of the Red Sea, one of the great stories we tell our children again and again and that we need to reflect on again and again. It says, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down rain. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. And your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. And then Asaph ends with this very tender word. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What an astounding act of deliverance. 
And we must never forget how stunning it is. It's not a fairy tale. It really happened. To this day, we can read the account of the plagues and the exodus and God's provision in the wilderness and the entrance into the promised land. These mighty acts can even today infuse and meet us in our depression. It can renew our hope. It can give us a foundation for our faith that God will act. Israel prayed for 400 years and God acted at a moment in time. It can lift us up into something greater. Lift us up and out of ourselves into someone who is greater. But I want to close this morning by encouraging us not only to view the exodus when we are feeling hopeless or storm-tossed or on the edge. I want us to be drawn into the exodus's fulfillment in the New Testament. The New Testament not only celebrates the exodus at the time of Moses, but much more, it focuses on what has come to be called the second exodus. What I want to do in the concluding moments of this message is to celebrate with you the greatest redemptive act of all time even greater than Exodus. Listen to some of these New Testament indications of a second Exodus. In Hosea, God says, out of Egypt I called my son, referring to God's faithfulness to the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian slavery. In the New Testament, Matthew understands that this is fulfilled in Jesus. This is fulfilled in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul sees Israel's passing through the waters as a foreshadowing of Christian baptism. Something greater. They're eating of the manna as a foreshadowing of communion in Christ, which we're about to enjoy a little bit later in the service. Israel was tested for 40 years in the wilderness, and this foreshadows Jesus being tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, Peter saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. And what they were talking about is told to us. They were talking about Jesus' departure. This was right before the crucifixion. They were talking about Jesus' departure. And for those of you who know Greek, you can look it up, and the word for departure is exodus. And it's no accident. The departure is 
of Jesus through the cross is the climax of the second exodus. So many, so many more perils could be mentioned. There's so many. But let me close with the climactic fulfillment talked about in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, where Paul refers to Jesus this way. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed. Very simple statement. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And this is what we'll be remembering at the Lord's table. In the time of the Exodus, during the plagues, when the, the oldest son of every family in Egypt was going to be killed in judgment by Almighty God, the Israelites were instructed to kill an unblemished lamb and put its blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of their homes. And then the angel of death would pass over their house and not inflict judgment. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken the Father's righteous wrath with which each of us deserve to be punished. And Jesus has drunk its cup empty for all those who take refuge in him, not by works, not by trying to perform, not by putting on a happy face, but by simply taking refuge in Jesus and saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. I accept your sacrifice for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead, that you rose, that you're reigning at the Father's right hand, you're going to come back someday. If you're struggling with depression today, fix your gaze afresh on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our life will be filled with problems, no matter how Christian you are. Jesus said, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, each day will have enough trouble of its own. We can testify to that, can't we? Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't worry about tomorrow's troubles. God's going to take care of that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or he says, also, he says, in the world you will have trouble, in John 16, 33. But be of good cheer. He almost sounds like Bobby McFerrin there. You get nervous. You know, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be happy. Well, Bobby McFerrin only saw a little piece of that. But Jesus then follows it up with a ground clause, a supporting argument. So he says, in the world you will have trouble, but be encouraged, take heart, be of good cheer. Why? For I have conquered the world. Brothers and sisters, we have a foundation 
to undergird us as we go through the tumultuous waters of this life. And wherever you're at in that journey, whether you're on the, on the top of a wave getting ready to surf, praise the Lord. We get there sometimes. But whether the wave is crashing in on you, take heart. God is here and God will help us. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the biggest problem is solved already. It's already solved. We are forgiven, and we are accepted by a holy, righteous God who is a loving Father. Our future is bright beyond description. Let's pray. O oh Christ, we are your, yours, and you are our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Open our eyes afresh to see you and trust that you are our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And now I've been given a few moments to share a little bit about what one of your newest global partners is about. So I've got some slides, and it's always dangerous for missionaries to have slides. And, uh, and, uh, Zach and Carson back there said, he said, there's no Vikings game today, so you can just go on into the afternoon. But uh, I don't plan to do that, okay? But I will talk through them just to give you a taste of what we're about. And so, um, one of the key scriptures where, is where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And the word for building is just prevalent in the New Testament. And it's not always physical buildings. It's spiritual building. It's, it's something God is doing, God is making to happen. And so I'm going to share a little bit about building a church. Not the physical building, but building a church. Building a seminary. Building a printing ministry. And then exponential multiplication. We'll see if I have time to explain that word. And then finally, I'm going to just show that we're building a building that serves parts one, two, three, and four. Don't worry, this is not a fundraiser. Um, so let's look at some slides. Um, where's, App, where's Cameroon? A lot of times people have heard of it and don't know where it is. It's right there where it's circled in black, kind of right in the central band of Africa and on the west coast. So sometimes it's called West Africa, sometimes it's called East Africa. You can change the slide there. And uh, one of the, you see, what's this, this old pastor? I've been at Bethlehem Baptist Church for 40, um, 40 years um, on staff, getting my paycheck from the church year after year after year, involved in lots of different kinds of things. And uh, one of the things we did there is that we helped to start a, a college and a seminary that's going. 
and, uh, and we met a man, young man named Dieudonné. I'm learning how to say his French name, Dieudonné, Tamfou. And uh, he's someone that, uh, he was the town barber next to a seminary that I taught at from time to time in Cameroon over the years. Just, and, uh, and seminarians would come over to his barber shop and try to convert him. He got so irritated with them, he decided he would study the Bible so he could refute them. And you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> he got converted. And uh, I won't tell you the whole story. But uh, God just powerfully drew him out of darkness into his marvelous, the Lord's marvelous light. And, uh, and we got connected back in 2005, I think. I went there and the, some of our graduates were there teaching and they said, you've got to meet this guy. I think he should come and do his master's at Bethlehem. And so he did. You can change the slides. He was in that cohort. And uh, he studied with several other guys that just studied all the same classes. Year after year, they get really close. And God really impacted him powerfully. You can change the slide. And, uh, and God led him to return to Cameroon after spending time in Minneapolis then going down to seminary, getting a PhD, coming back up and pastoring a church for two years in Minneapolis. But he was planning to go back and to teach at the seminary that he had studied at in Cameroon. And, uh, but he felt God was leading him to return to Cameroon and to plant a church and do theological training in a church-based context. And he wanted to focus on the French speaking side of Cameroon. Cameroon is French speaking and English speaking and uh, different sections are French and English and the French is much less reached than the English part. He wanted to go into the French part and preach the gospel. There are 291 languages in Cameroon. It's the most complex country in Africa. And, uh, but the two government languages are French and English. And so he came back, and by God's sheer grace, in October of, 19, uh, October of 2020, I had one of the greatest thrills of my life, is that I was there and I got to pray the prayer of dedication to the brand new congregation that was being officially birthed that day, and to pray a prayer of, of ordination over the two elders. And so, church is now about 150 people, and uh, it's growing, and uh, with a really solid core of membership. And this is the first two elders, it's Diudene, and the big guy is Jones. And uh, good, good man. Next slide shows that we're, we just set in our third elder, and uh, there's so many stories with every slide, I'm not going to say them, but uh, he's a godsend. Next slide. Um, so pray for Iglesia Baptist Church. I said about 150 are attending. The room is packed that we're in, and uh, there's about 46 covenant members. Membership is being taken very seriously and very non-legalistically, and that's rare in Cameroon. And it's just part of what we're praying will be um, expanded in Cameroon. Okay, next slide there. Um, part two talks about building a seminary, 
And so the goal is to have a church-based seminary that's connected with this church and other churches that will participate. And uh, right now we've got about a dozen students, and uh, these men are just such dear men. We want to start more master's level programs and other kinds of programs that um, a master's program that will be for men and women that are in careers and just want to grow in theological understanding and maybe some kind of undergraduate degree. We're not sure where that will take us. This is uh, Pastor Diodine, um teaching in class and uh, in these small, teeny little classrooms. And uh, you think your sanctuary gets hot sometimes. These get pretty hot sometimes with all these these uh, bodies in this little teeny room for hours and hours every day. You skip next next slide. Um, these are just a picture of some of our students, and uh, I think I think their varsity our varsity sport in Minneapolis at Bethlehem College and Seminary is ping pong, and uh, the varsity sport here is arm wrestling. So th those were the winners. Okay, you can go to the next slide. And, uh, and some of them are married. These are their wives. And Dominique is Judene's wife. She's the one with the glasses on. And uh, she is, is uh, serving like my wife Julie did with our seminary wives for 30 years. Julie did. And she's starting that tradition of just caring and loving these wives and um, doing Bible study and all kinds of things. You can switch again. Um, part three is that we're also seeking to build a library. And so we've got about 2,000 books that are really good books. They're not just throwaway books, but they're really, really good books. In these little classrooms, there's another little room, even smaller, that's got the books all neatly shelved. And, and uh, we hope to build that library. But it's so hard to get books into Cameroon. It's just uh, to ship them. It's just expensive. It's one of the highest corruption countries in, the, in Africa, and so it's just a problem. And, uh, and so we are hoping, and we've got an agreement with Lagos Bible Software, so we can now get books there di digitally, but of course no one has a credit card to swipe, so Dudene does, and it's complicated, but they're getting books, and that's a blessing. But uh, we just feel like a very strategic thing would be to do bookmaking over there. And, uh, and so you can skip the slides because when these pastors, this is a group of pastors and he's holding up a book because someone gave him a book and there's such glee when they have a physical book in their hands that tell them more about the gospel and more about the Lord, more about the ministry, all that they need. So we're hoping that uh, we're going to build building a, a ministry um, that prints and makes book, and we're started. So this is the equipment. There's a group um, that has specialized in how to create bookmaking production lines or whatever in, in hard-to-reach places where you can get the parts, where you can get the consumables and the paper and all those different things, and they figured it out. And so... We have um, already, by God's grace, the money just came in. We didn't even really raise it. It just came in, and, 
and uh, it's still, we've got 2,000 pounds of printing equipment that showed up a week and a half ago. And I got to help carry it in. And, uh, but I'm an old man over there, they think. And you may think so too. And uh, so they let me kind of hold, hold it. But when I, when I stepped away, I, I didn't see any, <laughs> any going down, you know. And, uh, but we got the, the heavyweight stuff that came from China. And the stuff from America is, is on its way pretty soon. So then we'll have the whole thing. Then they send trainers to come and put the pieces together and train us how to do it. And uh, we've already got it employs Africans to do it. And, and what our prayer is that we can translate English books into French books because there's so little in French. We also pray that um, any ministry needs um, will be we can print over there, and that. But one of the deepest passions is to um, uh, encourage African authorship. That uh, there's, they have wonderful things to say, but there's no means to to really get it out there. And so we're hoping that we can publish books from African authors. So. Part four, exponential multiplication. Everything we think of doing over there is how does, it, how does it affect people who affects more people who affects more people. And not that we can program anything, but that's our goal. Second Timothy 2.2 is to find those who are faithful and teach them who can teach others also. And so we have one, one avenue is our seminary, but that's designed to stay small. It's not going to become a mega seminary. It's just going to stay small. Um, but we're hoping that our guys that graduate could affect people who affect people who affect people. So that's one exponential multiplication. The other is that we do pastors conferences where we can affect a lot of pastors all at once. Just came back from a pastors conference um, two weeks ago and uh, it was very inspiring that they just loved being together and drinking the word together. And uh, we're also doing something called uh, Simeon Trust Workshop, where it's, a, it's just a three-day event where pastors um, learn how to um, go from the Bible to a message in, in a, an African way, and yet much more expositional and focused on the text rather than the text becomes a launching pad into our happy thoughts. And so that is exciting to see that get into place. There's a pastor's conference. You can skip that one now. Um, also, I work with a ministry called Training Leaders International. And Training Leaders International specializes in um, training people around the world where you do nine courses with them over a three-year period. And, uh, and we just will do training and training and training in hopes that they will then do training and training and training. And so this, this is a picture, too, of what I do. I, I usually go six times a year, and the first time I go is, is uh, in the fall, beginning of the fall, beginning of the semester, and then I do another one at the end of the semester, and that's two semesters, so that's four trips, then once during the middle of the summer. And, uh, and I will... I will zoom in in the in-between time because they're semester-long courses. So it's uh, interesting that technology works so well. 
and you can skip that. And uh, we also want to help inspire Cameroonians um, to be aware of the people groups, the unreached people groups that surround them in Cameroon and in Gabon and Central African Republic and these other places. And the man on the far right is, was at a perspectives class, a missions class way back in 2007, and he got it. He got the idea of unreached peoples and has been giving his life to doing unreached peoples ministry. There's, there's 100,000 Muslims right near him in a Muslim quarter of Yaoundé. He does Bible studies with them, and then now he's moving up into a real Muslim area with his wife and a recently converted Muslim that will go up and uh, just go up and live and preach and also try to mobilize churches. So that's an important part. And now this is uh, um, uh, the last thing about we're, we're trying to build a building that, that will serve these things. And uh, so four years ago, we bought a piece of property that when I first saw it, it looked like it's useless. I don't know why I picked this piece of property. And, uh, but uh, he had a vision for it. And uh, the problem was that that was behind it and, and it was on a big cliff at the end, except it, that cliff was a big mountain that just extended down and he found out that to build there he would have to remove the mountain. And, uh, and it would cost 50,000 US dollars to move that, impossible. And uh, it seemed. And so he, Dudene, um, wrote on a sign, free dirt, put it up on the highway, and within a month all the dirt was gone and a graded area ready for a building was left. Just amazing. And I can skip. Now we've got a wall built up, and then we're going to fill that with a building, and the building is the next slide, Lord willing. Oops, those are, yeah, this is the, the next slide. It's going to have a sanctuary. Uh, this is a group of engineers, multinational group of engineers that I work with, um, an evangelical engineering ministry for Africa, and Egyptian, Senegal, Cameroon, and Iowa. So, <laughs> and uh, when you skip, skip it to the next slide, that's the, the conceptual design that they helped us come up with. They just listened to us and listened to us. I mean, it was such a beautiful process. And so sanctuary, and then an annex with four classrooms, a, a, a printing spot, a library, and uh, so this is what we're praying will happen. You can skip. This is our team. This is Dudene and Dominique. I'm part of their family. Um, so I have two families. I'm a rich man. I've got a family here. My best family is here. My very best family is here. Um, <laughs> but this is my, they've adopted me as part of their family. And uh, so you can skip to the next. Um, this is a, another Cameroonian man who's got his PhD and, and uh, he and his family will be coming back, Lord willing, as soon as they can. Next slide, um, the couple on the right is, um, uh, they will probably be with us in a, a year and they already know French fluently, which is a blessing. And the next slide is there's two more families in the middle that uh, are planning to come to Cameroon. And so we're building a team, and uh, it'll be made up of Cameroonians. It'll be led by Cameroonians, 
and, uh, but it will be partnership with others that God may lead to us. Next slide. And uh, this is one of our students who's graduating this year, and he won a scholarship, so he's going to come back and do a, a next degree with us so that he can become a teacher in the MDiv program back there. And uh, we're really excited about that. They're terrified about the cold. Um, this is my lifelong partner, 40, really should say 45 years, I think. So Julie said that the best thing about getting married really young is that when you get close to your 50th anniversary, you don't look so bad. And uh, we're getting there. Okay, next slide. This is my, my, my family and uh, who I love with all my heart. You might recognize a couple in there. Um, Nate and Caitlin Steller and Simon's in there and Maeve is um, not revealed yet at that point. And, uh, and then my last slide is, and I asked Nate permission to show this, but uh, he's eating a rodent of unusual size in Cameroon back in 2005. I was so proud of him. I wouldn't, so. Anyway, welcome to Cameroon. You are a part of this. Thank you so much for standing with me and with us, and uh, God is doing the work, so. Um, good. Thank you. Been invited time to stay here so we can pray for him, and one of the things I was struck by with your story is that part where you said you had a mountain to move, and I was like thinking of scripture, like you need faith to move a mountain, and now I've learned you also could do it with $50,000. So yes. there's two ways to move a mountain, faith <laughs> or 50K, we'll, we'll do it, okay? So that was my big takeaway, yes, among good. other things. Uh, so I have a couple of questions, and then we'll pray sure. and then move to a time of communion. One, uh, we talked about this before the service, but you had a hand in the Lord laying on your heart, uh, a vision that led to TLI, along with Darren Carlson. Many here in this congregation knows Darren Carlson. He's preached here before. He was a former gospel partner. So what, what did the Lord give you back in those years that eventually led to TLI and kind of that connection now to be on staff there? Well, you yeah. already have your... Yeah, I think, I think he gave me the ability to make irrational decisions. <laughs> and because uh, Darren Carlson just showed up. He was pretty new to Bethlehem and wasn't even a member. And uh, he showed up at my office with a business plan, about 11, 12 pages all laid out financially and all these different things with a vision statement. And, and it, it, it was really his vision to start a ministry, what we call TLI, of uh, helping bring theological wealth that is here um, and professors and in seminary students and other gifted teachers um, and to share that with places that have so little access to theological training. And so he brought that into my office and uh, I look at that as one of the most historic office appointments I've ever had. Mm. And uh, he, he says that I looked at the business plan for about 30 seconds because I can't read, I mean numbers don't make sense anyway. And so I, I put it down and I I told Darren, I said, Darren, you know, this is exactly the same dream that we have in the seminary, is that all of our seminary students will have at least some exposure to theological training in non-reached non areas or in less trained areas. 
And I said, would you rather do it independent or would you rather do it as part of a church? And, uh, and then we took it from there and came, Bethlehem birthed it really with Darren at the helm. And, uh, and then it just grew so big that we now kind of launched it off. It's its own independent organization now, but uh, it's a joy to watch God multiply his teachers through that. So if you were to narrow prayer requests down to two or three prayer requests, uh, what would they be so the congregation can continue to pray for your work there? Yeah, I would pray, ask you to pray. There's so many things, but one thing that's heavy on my heart is, is uh, there are a lot of um, churches in Cameroon now, and, uh, but there's so much... Um, so little theological training that people just latch on to really strange things. A lot of prosperity teaching. We can talk about that sometime, but um, it, it just hurts the poor, um, and it just it just clouds the gospel. And uh, and so there's just tension among pastors. There's jealousies among pastors, and all those kinds of things. So I just pray that there just be pastoral renewal in Cameroon and that we could just play our little small part in helping that to happen. So I think that's, that's a big thing. And, uh, and, uh, and then I think one other thing is just this printing ministry is just on the verge of getting launched and I think it's got real potential. And, uh, but we still need some more parts. So pray practically for the parts to arrive. Let's go ahead and pray for Tom and his work right now. Almighty God, uh, if anyone here had a discouraged soul coming in here, it's encouraging, Lord, to look up um, about how your mighty hand is at work, uh, not only in this city, but across the globe, in Cameroon and other places. So, Lord, help us to be encouraged now um, and help us to continue to pray, uh, to pray for the gospel to continue to advance in this place. Uh, Lord, that we pray that there would be a depth of understanding of who you are and how you've disclosed yourself uh, through Jesus Christ. And now that your spirit, Lord, would be at work uh, training more people, training more leaders and um, church leaders uh, to be able to not only know the gospel, but know it deeply, uh, know how to defend it and articulate it and proclaim it and uh, express joy in all of its blessings. Uh, so we pray that would happen uh, through the ministry of Tom and others and his team in Cameroon. And we pray specifically for all the work that's went into this printing ministry as a small, tangible, but practical way to accomplish this goal. May that ministry lead to uh, greater depth of insight because of the resources that will be provided and bless many people who open these books uh, and search the treasures that will be in those books. And we pray this all 